All right, ladies, we're going to go ahead and get started in just a second. Um, is that volume? Is that volume good? Because normally I'm the volume person. Is it too loud? Well, somebody's going to have to go turn it down. I can do that. I can do that. I can move. All right, can y'all hear me? Let's see if we can get this volume right. How about that? Susan? Down? How's that? Susan Scholes is amazing. I generally like everything she says. How's that? (laughs) Okay. All right, hopefully that's not too loud. I'll try to speak quietly. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started. And um, yesterday I thought I was probably going to be, I told the leaders this morning, I was probably going to be the first teacher that was not able to teach her assigned lesson. I was like, we'll just get to know one another games. Um, And then today I'm like, I might be the first person to get us out here early. So I have no idea how Jimmy Young does 40 minutes twice a week. I don't know. It seems crazy. Um, Okay. Uh, Did anybody listen to the sermons that were sent out this week? Let's just see. Let's just see. Did anybody wonder if I picked them based on their British accents? (laughs) I kind of thought about that yesterday. I was like, hmm, I wonder if I'm a secret secret Anglophile. I do like um, (laughs) Downton Abbey and Colin Firth. Um, all right, let's go ahead and pray, and um, we'll get started. Dear Father, what a glorious gift you have given us. Jesus Christ is better in every single way, and we are so thankful. I thank you for each one of these women. Lord, it is such a gracious gift to not be alone, for us to be together, to digging in in your word and to trying to live it out amongst our families, our homes, our communities, and our church. Lord, I pray that today truthful words will be spoken. I pray that above all, you will be lifted up and you will be glorified. Help us, Father, to do that at every turn, at every step. And we trust in you, Father, and we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. All right. All right, I'd like for you to take your Bible or your Bible study book and look with me at Hebrews 8. As you studied this week, you probably realized that the author is building upon all that we've read in the first seven chapters. Christ is supreme in every way. Follow along as I read from Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry That is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and here he quotes from the book of Jeremiah, 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Today, I want to focus on one little word from this chapter, heart. I love hearts. I am such a girl. In February, I place a heart on my front door at home and on my office door at work. I love the shape of them. Pink is one of my favorite colors, so I generally like the color of them. Um, And they're easy to draw and easy to cut, especially for someone that's not very artistic. You just fold a piece of paper in half, and in one slice, you've got a heart. Um, Second to smiley faces, I probably draw hearts the most on my paper. And when I'm doing my Bible study or reading a book, I can't resist the urge to just draw a heart around the word when I see it. And I consider myself very lucky to have had a short little name with an I in the middle of it in middle school because I could dot my I with a heart. I love hearts. Our culture loves hearts too. In fact, our culture is a little heart obsessed, just not in the same way that I am. I think we could possibly sum up our culture with the phrase, Follow your heart. We certainly do what we feel, and we assign those feelings to our heart. The world would have us believe that the best test for knowing what is right, who we are, and what we need to listen, what we need is to listen to our hearts. Major questions troubling us today are what do you want to do with your life? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? Who offends you? Who do you want to love? Who do you feel that you are? And the world would have us believe that the answers are found within our own hearts, where the purest of emotion and thought comes from. The world is not just selling sinful acts. It is selling the very virtue of listening to our heart. We have books and blogs and pulpits also preaching the gospel, listening to the heart. But do they know what is in the heart of man? I'm afraid that the world has a different understanding of our heart than what our Bible has to say about it. Looking at Jeremiah, again, we find this in verse 17, in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our natural God-given heart is deceitful and sick. From the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we have been cursed with a sin-sick heart that will kill us if left alone. We have and always have had a problem, a heart sick with sin. But God had a plan. The last time, which was always also the first time, which may mean this is the last time that I taught the Bible study, was at the very beginning of Leviticus. I don't know if the other leaders have felt this way, but for me, it's as if I'm teaching a two-part series in a year. Edie and I had the privilege of trying to explain and apply the types of offerings that the Lord instructed the Israelites to do. My focus was on the sin offering. I tried to paint you a picture of what it would have been like to live within the camp of the Israelites in the wilderness with the tabernacle in the very center. 
The tabernacle was God's dwelling place. God, who made the heavens and the earth, desired to live on earth amongst humans, which is a truth that escapes me indeed. But in order for him to be able to do that, the sin of the people had to be covered. The holy God could not live amongst sinful people. And that covering was done through the perpetual animal sacrifice at the altar in the tabernacle. A million humans living together with one church where each person had to go to make atonement or covering for their sin. Now, I am a human, as are all of you, and I'm familiar with the sin of this human. I don't even know how many times I sin before breakfast, so I can't fathom or even imagine how, uh, what it would have looked like to make atonement for all of the sin of all of those one million-ish people. The fire at the altar would have been burning morning, noon, and night. The priest's work would never have been finished. The smoke and the smell from the fire at the altar would have been a constant reminder of the people's need for their sin to be covered. It was a good plan. It was, after all, God's plan. And if you're going through attributes with me this semester, you know that God only has one plan, his decree. And our teeny-weeny brains don't think like God does. We think in successive plans, like this morning, this afternoon, next week, this summer, the holidays. We have plans that are separated, and we make successive plans. But God has had one plan for all of creation, for all of eternity, from the beginning of time. And he can use all things to accomplish that plan. That perpetual fire in my neighborhood as an Israelite might have been enough to propel me into beautiful, convicted submission to our great God, but likely not. The best thing I can compare it to is this. Let's just say that I'd like to lose 10 pounds. On a daily basis, I drive past five different gyms, workout facilities. I have access to the best grocery stores that sell the healthiest foods for me in my hand at all times. I have access to the internet that could offer me 100 plans, thousands of workout videos, and a million opportunities for me to post my progress online for accountability. And yet, I do not lose weight. Why not? because they're all external motivators. Organic food offerings at Fresh Market and a calorie counter on my phone do not make me lose weight. I lose weight when I believe in my heart that it is the best plan for me. I have to be motivated from within to grab hold of that plan and do it. But if I believe that I'm okay as I am, I will not lose weight. It seems to me that the Levitical system was like that for the Israelites. They knew the plan. Many probably thought it was a good idea. At one point, all of them thought it was a good idea. As we know, they promised to follow the Lord. But how many actually followed it through day after day, month after month, year after year? Some. As we read further in the Old Testament, we know that most did not. At least most of the leadership did not lead people into careful obedience of the law. In Hebrews 8, 9, it says, for they did not continue in my covenant. And that's something we can learn right there about man. We are the covenant breakers, not God. 
But the Israelites did not continue in obedience to this great and elaborate plan that God gave them. Fundamentally, they did not believe that it was the best way of life for them. So the problem, which was the sin-sick heart, remained. But Leviticus, the animals, the priests, the fire, that was only the first part of the plan. God was very patient in revealing the rest of the plan. By the time we get to Jeremiah, God revealed that there would be a better covenant coming based on better promises. Let's look again at Hebrews 8. In verse 8, the author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The author tells us what that covenant is, skipping down to the second part of verse 10. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26 says it this way, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God gives us a new heart. And let's pause right there. Have you marveled at that this week? Can you see what God is able to do? He puts his law in our mind and writes it on our hearts. The very creator of our bodies, hearts, and minds can replace what he already has given us with something even better. And how does he do this? Obviously, we don't all get heart transplants. He does it by sending the Holy Spirit to live within. That is truly amazing. When we slow down to think of that, we should be brought to our knees in worship. What a wonderful God we serve. Jesus Christ, God himself fulfilled every point of the law in perfection and then gave himself up to the cross so that he could give us a new covenant, one in which we get a new heart and the very spirit of God himself living within us. This is the gospel. This is the greatest news we could ever receive from anyone forever. Notice there that God did all the work. Unlike my weight loss illustration, he made the plan. He revealed it. He lived the perfect life, resisting all the temptation of sin. He died the horrible, painful death. He was separated from God. He gave us a new covenant. He gave us the new heart. He put his spirit within us. We, me, I, us did nothing, nothing to deserve it, nothing to accomplish it, nothing to complete it. And we have to live happily ever after, right? Not so fast. We already know that we are as prone to wander as the Israelites. We have the propensity to pursue our lust as much as the next person. While God has put a new heart within us, we are still living in the world of already and not yet. Saved for eternity, but not yet glorified in heaven. We are on the path of the pilgrim, a lifelong sanctification process, the process of conquering that sinful human nature that still hides and creeps in the shadows within us. Now, let's review. We had a sin problem, a sin-sick heart. God had a plan to replace that heart, and he did that by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. What is our response to this plan? Let's look at some of the other passages of Scripture that use the word heart. And you don't have to look these up. I'll read them to you. Psalm 119.11. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 22, 37 through 38 says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. One of John Owen's most famous works is called The Mortification of Sin. Mortification meaning the denial or the killing of the sin within us. I have to confess that I have not made it very far in this little book. I am told that it's incredibly impactful, impactful but it is rather challenging to read. In the introduction to this little book, J.I. Packer summarizes Owen's response to our continued sin problem. Have the holiness of God in mind. Remember that sin desensitizes you to itself. Watch, that is, prepare to recognize it. Search it out within you by disciplined, Bible-based, spirit-led self-examination. Focus on the living Christ and his love for you on the cross pray, asking for strength to say no to sin suggestions and to fortify yourself against bad habits by forming good ones contrary to them, and ask God to kill the sinful urge you are fighting. How are we doing in that? Do you think about the holiness of God? Do you consider how sin is desensitizing you? Do you search out the sin within you through careful, spirit-led examination? Remember, the world values the heart and appeals to the prideful, sinful nature within us. How am I resisting this? How can we be successful in a battle against our sin? Hebrews makes a connection between the heart and the mind. The author does not disconnect them. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And as we read the other scripture references for heart, that is consistent. I have heard Jimmy Young and Natalie Vaughn often say, it takes time for our heart to catch up with what our head already knows. Where our head goes, our heart will be sure to follow. Careful study of God's word is the best beginning. Many of you have wondered why at Grace of Anne, we no longer study other people's Bible studies or books. It has been such an interesting and wonderful process that led us here, and I love to talk about it, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. But truly, I can sum it all up by saying we, the leaders and I, are convinced that the greatest gift that we can give you are the tools to mine out the truth from the Word of God. A mind spent searching out God's Word will be transformed to be more like God every day. And that is never in vain. I am far from a scholar, but I do love God's word. I don't know where that began. It may have been in my late 20s when I began coming to Bible study at Grace of Anne. In fact, it's probably more likely this. I've been coming to Grace of Anne for 21 years, and it's probably the whole ministry of this church that has made me fall in love with the Bible. 
In recent years, I have had the privilege of walking with some adult women um, as they've come to know Christ. It's been a great privilege and an excellent growing experience for me. Personally, I have very little to offer these women, but as they would bring me numerous questions about the Bible and how it applies to their life, the only thing I would tell them is, let's go back to what we know to be true. Now, let's apply. And I have found, not found any situation in which the gospel did not apply. The world crowds in and appeals to this prideful, sinful nature that we still possess. I, like you, am distracted by things that the world offers, clamoring for my attention. Lies upon lies seek to grab hold of my heart and mind, but the Holy Spirit reminds me of what we have learned so far in Hebrews. Consider these commands from chapters one through seven. Love righteousness. Worship the Son. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Consider Jesus. Hold fast our confidence. Do not harden your hearts. Take care. Exhort one another every day. Let us fear. Do not draw near to the throne of grace. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Be imitators of those who inherit. Draw near to God. God's plan is wonderful news for us. He has given us a heart, a new heart through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. While the world and all our sinful nature actively work against us each day, we know that we will not be lost. For God, who has begun a good work in us, will see it until the day of completion. But may we be good stewards of that great gift that God has given and exhort one another every day so that above all things, he might be glorified within us. One final verse for you today from Revelation 2, 23 and 25. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, I hope and pray that these have been truthful words, good gospel, life-giving words for these women. I pray, Father, that today we will walk out of here encouraged, filled with light, joy, strength, assurance that you are doing a good work in our lives. May we share that with others faithfully. May we give them the great joy of your word, Father, I thank you for each one of these women, and I pray, Father, that you will be with them and encourage them today as they seek to seek you through all of the stress and struggles and pain of life that we have. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we trust, we hope, and we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. <laughs>